0: Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet.
1: Okay, greetings to you all. It's Easter tide. It's good to be with you. Next couple months, we're going to be kind of hopping around the Book of Acts. And if you were here with us last week, we left off in this empty tomb at the end of Mark's gospel with this potent, this electric, this even kind of terrifying, but ultimately good news that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and this news had been passed on to this from this angel to these three bewildered women. Uh, we're just just in this small little place. We got this message, and now as we as we move into the book of Acts, this. This is basically the sequel to Luke's gospel, same author as the, as the gospel of Luke. And we now see this story moving out. This good news that was just limited to these three women is now being carried out into the world by this community that now is forming itself around the resurrected Christ. So if you were with us during Lent, we took this really pretty long journey to the cross. And it was a pretty solemn journey. It was a, it quite dark at number of times. And as we, as we make the turn at Easter, we then move out in the light of resurrection. And so the, the question I think we should ask ourselves and think about today in these next few weeks is what does resurrection make possible? What does resurrection make possible? So this community in Acts that we read about, uh, it's, it's, it's now gaining steam, words getting out about what happened with Jesus. And so now earlier in the chapter we read that there's 5,000 men, so probably more than 5,000. So that's the size of Columbia, a little bit smaller than the size of Columbiana, decent amount of people. Let me just throw out two scenarios for you here, and you can tell me which one sounds more reasonable. So scenario one, this guy 2,000 years ago, he grows up in this little kind of podunk village in the Middle East uh, in Palestine. He, He goes around this region announcing this news about the kingdom of God gathers this group of followers around him, and he launches this movement. This eventually gets him killed on a cross. It looks like defeat, but actually this guy is the true king of the world. So he defeats death. He defeats Satan. He reconciles humans with their creator. He physically rises from the dead. He walks out of a tomb. And not only that, he gives those who put their faith in him trust and belief that they too will rise from the dead. Okay, that's scenario one, okay? This, like, little thing called the defeat of death and this defeat of Satan and a dead guy walking out of a tomb, okay? All right? Sounds. I think it must be at least somewhat reasonable, somewhat plausible, because we were here last week, or most of us. We were announcing this. We, I think we believed it. Scenario two, a few months later, after all this happens, 5,000 people who have formed a community claim nothing as their own, and they share everything. Now that sounds crazy. That sounds unreasonable. I can get my head around a guy walking out of a tomb, 5,000 people voluntarily sharing their stuff. That sounds nuts. What does resurrection make possible? What kind of power is unleashed with resurrection? See, resurrection... It doesn't just have the power to give life to dead bones, as crazy as that sounds, and that really is crazy. Resurrection has the power to do things that even maybe today sound crazier, like unite a group of people, like get people to share their stuff. This is the second time in Acts we've, we've read a description of this early community. And earlier on, uh, Peter addresses the crowd at Pentecost. And this is a somewhat well-known Sermon slash speech that he gives. He's proclaiming the gospel message on the day of Pentecost, proclaiming that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead and he is Lord. And we read that when Jesus, when Peter preaches this message, the people are cut to the heart. And they respond, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we read that 3,000, Members were added to this new community that day. Right after, then just immediately after we have that mass conversion, we read about this new community, and they're eating together and they're they're praying together and they're selling off property when in need and they're sharing their possessions and they're praising God in great great glory. In other words, we get this picture of what what happens when the gospel message gets out? What happens when the power of resurrection is unleashed? It has the power to cut someone in the heart. Right? This deep spiritual work. But it's not just that. It has, it's not just a spiritual thing. No, it's something that works its way out in concrete ways. People start meeting each other's homes. They start, when they see a need in their community, they begin to open up and, and, and help that person in need. They, they begin to pray in their homes. And we read that the Lord was adding daily to their numbers. So, this is the second scene of, of people forming around this, uh, this community of uh, forming around the resurrected Jesus now. And right before, in verse 31, we read this. So right before what, what was just read. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So interestingly enough, we have the Holy Spirit preceding both of these stories. Both of these passages that speak to unity and speak to generosity and mutual care are preceded by the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, the, the, the book, the Acts could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because throughout the book of Acts, it is the Holy Spirit that is, work, that is empowering this movement to go out into the ends of the earth. I don't think, ultimately, I don't think we look at this group, I don't think it was that they were just ultra-talented evangelists and super, super generous and just, just a different era and we're not like them. No, I think, I think they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we we tend to use language that's pretty abstract, even like myself. When I speak about the Holy Spirit, we speak of maybe in certain denominations speaking of tongues, maybe more like nudging, ministering to us. It tends to be these things that are quite abstract. But I want you to see here, the Holy Spirit is at work in very concrete ways. There's very little more concrete than a field. You guys, most of you either grew up around fields or you have a field now. That is soil. That is physical. And the Holy Spirit is leading people to take that physical thing and to do something for it with it. Verse 32 says, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So, in what, is, what does resurrection have the power to do? It has the power to make you look at your stuff differently. Like what what they before saw, something that's that belonged to me. That's at my disposal. When I, when I have needs, I can use that for my own needs. There's been this shift in the light of resurrection. Like, they're, they're shifting from I language to we language. And that is really hard in our culture. We are trained from the day we are born to think an I and not we. Other cultures are much different in that way, but we, that's how we think. That's how we're trained. So we tend to think about our gifts as my gifts, Right? Even if we kind of say, yeah, these are the gifts of the community, typically we think about them as my gifts. Same thing with possessions. We tend to think in I language. So how does this shift happen? How, do, how, how is there a shift from I to we? It sounds hard. Like I said, it almost sounds harder than resurrection in some ways. As uh, Will Williman wrote, we are vulnerable animals who seek to secure and establish our lives in improper ways living by our wits rather than by faith. I don't know about you, but I am constantly tempted to live by my own wits more than faith. In my ministry, I'm tempted to live by my own wits more than faith. With my possessions, I'm tempted to live more by my own wits than faith. There's that old expression, trust but verify. You guys heard that expression? I'm going to, I think about it as like, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you to take care of my needs. I'm going to like this whole thing about like the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, it all sounds nice, but you better believe I'm going to have a backup plan. You better believe I'm going to have a backup plan. We are by nature vulnerable creatures. It's, it's our, t- it's, right? It's in our nature. It's in our tendency to fear that we don't have enough, okay? If you feel that way, you're not alone. I think most of us feel that way a lot of the time. We are vulnerable creatures. We need a power outside of us to change. I don't know that we can change it by ourselves. I don't think we can. We need the Holy Spirit. And here's a couple things I think we need to remind ourselves. God is creator and Jesus is Lord. Let's start with this profession that God is creator. See, if I look at what I have, my house, my stuff, the money in my bank, my gifts, if if it's mine, then understandably I get to call the shots with it. And if I've worked hard for that money... Like, if I've earned it the old-fashioned way, the Smith-Barney way, then I really have the right to choose what to do with it. At some point, probably in the last couple weeks, you got a check, didn't you? You got a check either deposited in your account at your bank or it showed up in the mail from the United States government. And Whether you think you should have got that check or not, whether you think that was a good idea, that's beside the point, Okay. How much work did you do for that check? I told Abel, I was like, don't get used to this. Like, he gets to the United States, there's like three checks that come to him. Don't get used to this. We have this interesting experience, especially if you have four kids, of a fair amount of money just showing up at your door. And there's, there's very little I could use to illustrate other than this to say, you did nothing to earn that. I haven't heard a single person brag about their stimulus check. Like there's not people walking around be like, "Yeah, I just got a stimulus check." Cuz you did nothing for it. And as disciples of Jesus, we cut it we need to start looking at all of our possessions like that stimulus check. I really didn't do as much as I think I did to earn this. See, whatever gifts we have, whatever skills we have, whatever energy and health we, we were given by God to earn that money, that came from the Lord. And as disciples of Jesus, we make this claim, like the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's. I think sometimes we think like 10% of the earth is the Lord's and then 90% belongs to us. And I joke, but we use language all the time that indicates that we actually think that we control 90% of the world. But we as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, make this claim, no, 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 the earth is the Lord's, meaning everything is the Lord's, not 10%, 100% of what is here. If God is the creator that we profess, 100% belongs to God. Is that true? All right, I got good, all right. But as disciples of Jesus, we also, we have these other resources that help us hold our possessions more lightly. Because when we make this pledge at baptism to profess Jesus as Lord, we cede authority to him. That's a crazy thing. To cede authority of your life to someone, you better be glad it's someone who died for you and who has your best interest. Because you don't want to just cede authority of your life to anyone. You want to cede authority to someone you absolutely trust has your best interest, and that is Jesus Christ. I think that's the only person you can say that has absolutely your best interest is Jesus Christ. And so this enables us as disciples, in the language of Daryl Johnson, to say this, here's my home, here's my checkbook, here's my talents, here's my gifts, here's my brain, here's my heart. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my mouth. It's all yours. Use it for your glory. Use it for your purposes here on earth. That's what we as disciples, those of us who profess to be disciples of Jesus, that's what we do. And that counteracts that tendency of all of us to hoard. To think that this is my money and my talents and my body. And No, no, no. As disciples of Jesus, we cede that authority over to Jesus. Notice something else here in the passage too. There's this language of all and no one. All the believers were one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. All and no one. This is not a community when the, which there's like a handful of people who are doing all the work. This is a participatory community. This isn't like a non nonprofit where If you can just get a few big donors to fund that nonprofit, then you're set. And then that that money can flow into the top, and then it can flow down. That is not at all how this community works. It's not a heavy top-down of flowing out to other people. It's everyone participating. Meaning, if you have a lot of money, you're giving in. And if you don't have a lot of money, you're giving in. Because everyone is participating. And what's interesting about this, this is so different than how things typically work. So possessions are flowing into the community. Money is flowing into the community. That money is uniting people. That almost never happens. Willie really, James Jennings writes this in his commentary. Money here will be used to destroy what money is usually used to create. Distance and boundaries between people. We read that again. I think this is an awesome quote. Money is used to destroy... What money usually creates? Distance and boundaries between people. What does he mean? What does Jennings mean? Well, think about it. Typically the way things work in our society is the more money you get, the more freedom you have to separate yourself from other people. And this works out in a lot of different ways. It works out in physical. If you have more money, you have the freedom to buy a house somewhere where you don't have any neighbors. And that's not the only reason people do it, but some people literally, if they have enough money, they just want to be somewhere where they have no neighbors, okay? you literally physically distance yourself from people. You also do it like if you ever hop on a plane, I would love to go to first class like once. But, you know, most of us, we go to coach, I think, and it's like you cram in there and you do not have space. If you got money, you can get this nice big chair and you don't have to even interact with anyone, right? My point is you can literally physically distance yourself uh, with money, but we can do other things too. We can send our kids to private schools, and we can take vacations other people take. We can do things with money that separate us from other people. Or think about here. Here's maybe a little, think about farming. This is what I thought about. When I farmed, I would talk to old timers, and back in the day, uh, most of them could recall, if you're old enough, a time where not everybody had their own equipment, and not everybody had their own enough labor. And so, what you do, whether, whether it's baling hay or 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 combining or harvesting, it was labor-intensive. You didn't always have the machine, so you would call your neighbors in, and you'd go from one field to another. Does anybody remember this? This happened in Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you would go from one field to the other. My dad did this as a kid in South Dakota. I think they would have they'd bring out big meals. They would have meals. It was a very communal experience. When I was in Illinois, I would say suspicion marked the farmers more than anything. Who's going who's to lease that 180 right there that just came up? Farmers had become more suspicious of each other because they had grown in huge amount of assets. They got $500,000 tractors and $700,000 combines, and you're farming 3,000 or 5,000 acres. And some of that's not all bad, but some of that, the more you have, you separate yourself from others. You don't need to do this stuff about gathering together and helping combine each other's fields. And what I noticed in my community in Illinois, it might have been materially more rich, but relationally, it was a lot poorer than it used to be. I don't know that anybody would say this community is just so much at a healthier place than it was 50 years ago or 60 years ago. I don't know if anybody where I was would say that. Wealth and money in general are used to create distance and boundaries. What's so What's so interesting about this community in Acts is the opposite happens. They're using money to destroy those barriers, to destroy what separates people. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If that's true, I usually think what Jesus says is true. I think he's right. If you, wherever you invest your resources, that's where your heart's going to be. Okay? If I invest my uh, resources into you and you invest my resources into me, guess what? My heart is going to be with you, and your heart is going to be with me. And sometimes I think when when people come to this passage, they're like, oh, that's communism. It's it's not communism. It's voluntary. What it sounds more like is Deuteronomy. It does not sound like communism. It sounds like Deuteronomy, because in Deuteronomy, as the Israelites have been freed from slavery, they're they're moving uh, to the promised land. God has said, I'm going to take you to this land, and there's going to be no poor among you. Because I'm going to so richly bless this land, there's not going to be a need for poor. There's going to be plenty. Now, did that happen in, the, in, the, in Canaan? No. Very quickly, there began to be that. But, but God said, there's enough resources here where there doesn't need to be poor. And now, in this new community that's forming around Jesus Christ, we're seeing that. That's what we read. There's no poor among them. Like, that was that ideal that was there in Deuteronomy that never materialized. And for, now, in this new community, it's seen this passage, this passage is in the uh, Common Lectionary, Revised Common Lectionary. If you don't know what that is, this is, uh, churches all over the world right now are studying this passage. So I didn't just pick out this passage, this is what follows after Easter. And when I came to this passage, I was like, what, what does this have to do with Easter? Like, I, it just seemed like an odd passage. There's all this talk about possessions and fields, and it just didn't seem to be like what you would normally follow up with on Easter Sunday. But, but look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You see that? Right in the middle of this passage, about giving away possessions and being united in spirit, there's a reference to the resurrection of Jesus. Why is that? Because there's power in resurrection, There's power in the resurrection of Jesus. There's not just power to break the bonds of death. Guess what? There's power to release that tight, tight grip we have on our stuff. That's crazy power. That's remarkable power. And it's not just power available to the early church. It's power available to us. That maybe we can even have so much power in the resurrection that we can release but we have a tight grip on. What, what, does, this, what does this mean for us, as specifically, Midway in this community? Let me just say, I've been here for four years, and what I've experienced and also just heard stories in the past, Midway has done such a good job of caring for its members, such a good job of, of using resources when needed to serve the needs of the community. People, not only with material resources, I've heard so many stories of people being so generous with their time, with their energy. I think we just need to affirm that. There's been real living that out in this community over its long history. But I also wanna think about how how does this, how might this passage be challenging us today? And one of the things I've picked up in my four years is that this congregation as a whole is pretty good about not wasting money. I think as a whole, my conversations, what I've watched, I've been pretty impressed. People here are pretty good at pinching pennies. Can I get an amen there? <laughs> like, uh, like if you, where's the cheapest chicken? Oh, that's at Rooley Brothers up there. Man, the chicken breasts, they're like that big, and they're like 99 cents. Where's the best place to get groceries? Oh, you've got to go to Aldi's or Mark's. Okay? And there's a lot to be said for that. See, I think by trying to live more simply, I think, one, we're using less resources. And we're being better stewards of God's creation. We're also kind of putting a hedge against the materialism in our culture, right? Our culture is telling us to buy, buy, buy. I'm, I'm guessing not too many of you went out and bought a flat-screen TV with your stimulus check. Maybe. I mean, if you did, like, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying I don't think that probably was the norm in our congregation. Many of you grew up on farms and in, in right around the Depression where you learned, like, you can get by with not a lot. And that's good. Like, that's a really good antidote to what's happening in our culture. There's a lot of good with being frugal and pinching pennies. But there's a shadow side as well. Because those pennies start to add up. Those fields start to add up over time. And it can be easy to forget the goal of being frugal was not just so that we could amass more and more fields, that we could just amass more and more pennies in our bank accounts. No, the point is that you can bless others then. Like we say this, like we live simply so that others may simply live. But so often we live simply, not for the sake of others, but for ourselves. That we can just build up more and more fields, more and more pennies. Rather than be like Barnabas, when a need arises, we sell off a field, we just build bigger barns. We just build bigger barns because we've pinched so many pennies, we've got to have a spot for all those pennies. And we need to recognize that that's not coming from Jesus. That's coming from culture. Some of that's coming from Mennonite culture. It's not all bad, but it has a shadow side. Let's just be be honest. Our culture tells you, you can't get rid of one of those fields because you never know when you're going to need it. And when you hear that message again and again, your grip just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. But resurrection has the power to break the bonds of death. And if resurrection has the power to break bonds of death, can resurrection even break this tight grip that we have on our possessions? I can testify it. I think you guys have probably seen stories. You've probably experienced it in your own life. It is possible. And not only is it possible, I believe this is good news. I don't think Jesus tells us things to make us miserable. The older I get, I think Jesus genuinely has our best interest in mind, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Because I think Jesus understood that while we think the more and more fields we have, we're going to feel more and more secure and more and more free, so often it works the opposite way. So often something counterintuitive happens. We build up more and more fields, thinking we're going to be more and more secure, and yet we find ourselves worrying more and more and more. Do you think Barnabas, years later, looked back and said, I really botched it selling that field? You know, looking back, I took a risk, and I think I, if I would have look back, I wouldn't have sold that field. I don't think so. If you, if you know the story of Barnabas, he's one of the heroes of Acts. He's the encourager. See, see Barnabas releases his field, but that releases Barnabas to mission, okay? Some of these fields are holding us back from what God is calling us to. And we see that with Barnabas. I do not think when Barnabas was reaching his deathbed, he was like, oh, that field. If I just had it. These last days of my life, that field from Cyprus. No, I don't think so. So often what we consider assets in our life actually become liabilities. What we think is going to bring us happiness falls spectacularly short. And we just find ourselves more and more anxious and gripping tighter and tighter. But resurrection is powerful. Resurrection has the power to free us from sins. Resurrection has the power to free us from the bonds of death. Resurrection defeats Satan. And resurrection even defeats the tight grip we have on our stuff. And Jesus' resurrection invites us to unite our lives with other believers. And let me tell you, that is a powerful witness. T.S. Eliot once wrote, the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. We need to come here on Easter morning and Easter season, and we need to proclaim he is risen. Because that proclamation is powerful. We stake our lives on that proclamation. But if you want to be a really powerful witness to your community around you, start being radically generous with your possessions. That's when people take notice. You want to go up to someone in your neighbor and say, he has risen? Great. You start using your possessions in kind of surprising ways. That's when people take notice. That's when things start to look crazy, but in a good way. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are a generous God. God. You held back nothing from us. You give us this beautiful day. You give us the rain and the sun to grow food. And Lord, you gave us your own son. You held nothing back, even your own son. Lord, let us rest in assurance that you have our best interest in mind and that you love us. And that because you held nothing back from us, that we might not hold back anything from you, Lord. That we might give our lives to you. And give our lives to the people who also profess you as Lord. Lord, I ask you, we need help. We're vulnerable. We're weak. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the resurrection. to Help us release these things that we hold way too tight. But God, we ask that your power work in mighty ways among us. In Jesus' name, amen.